locals say that the families are shut down and their home in Amityville Long Island. Catching images of what they believe are ghosts on surveillance cameras. Location of the infamous Salem witch hangings. Many indigenous, many sex workers. Hello and welcome to Six Sad World. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Mari. And this week, because it's my birthday weekend, I got to pick the theme. So I delegated it out to our Twitter followers instead, because I can't make choices. <laughs> Fair. Um, of all the topics I suggested, only one was more popular than the rest. Killer confessions. And none of y'all apparently wanted wrongful convictions. And I'm, like, a little cheesed about it, but I'm also kind of glad I wasn't researching wrongful convictions for my birthday. Because also, that'd be really depressing as well. Yeah, I mean, this was not much yeah. better. <laughs> not to say that this was, like, a like a happy-go-lucky episode, but um, wrongful part. convictions are a whole other thing. Yeah, it's... Anyways, <laughs> if you'd like to suggest a theme, a case, uh, reach out to us on Twitter, our new Facebook page, or by email, and I'll um, plug those things at the end as well. Right. So, um, because it's my birthday, I also picked one of the most famous killer confessions, the co-ed killer. Da-da-da. Also known as Edmund Kemper Third. Oh, he's a third. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Him, his dad, and his granddaddy all have the same name. I mean, no offense to any Edmonds out there, but, like... His middle name is, like, Emil. Edmund... Emil. Emil Kemper. Yeah, I think he actually has four names, but I can only remember three of them. Fair enough. So... Um, if you've watched Mindhunter, the Netflix original... Um, then you should be very familiar with him. Um, he is, like, a major... Yes. Major plot point in that show. Very much so. Um, his confessions were the inspiration for many metal and punk songs, um, and was even quoted in the novel and film American Psycho, although it's misattributed to Ed Gein in the book. Um, I was gonna show you, like, a clip of it, but I was like... This isn't last podcast on the left. I'm not gonna be all like, listen to these clips. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you just, like, type in, like, Ed Kemper, or if you type in head on a stick. Oh, okay. Uh, American Psycho, you'll get the quote. Um, and basically it's the quote where Ed Kemper's like, when I see a pretty girl, I think two things. <laughs> One, I'll... She's pretty and I want to take her out on a date and yeah. do nice things with her. And then the yeah. second thing is what her head would look like on a stick. I'm not saying the quote properly. Yeah. But. You get the general gist of, of that's, it. That's the kind of thing Ed Kemper like to say. He was also one of the inspirations for the character of Buffalo Bill in the novel and movie Silence of the Lambs. Um, also inspirations for Buffalo Bill included Ted Bundy, Ed Gein, um, and some guys named Gary. Okay. (laughs) There was just, like, two serial killers who were both named Gary, and Mm. I was like, Ed and Gary are clearly not names you wanna... (laughs) Which is like, I'm like, oh my god, my dad's nickname is Gary. 
I was I thinking about that too, and I was like, should I make that joke, or is that just... <laughs> is that in poor taste? <laughs> but I think it's different because it's not, it's not his real name. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not even close to his real name whatsoever. Um, he's had many interviews over the years for different documentaries, um, and he's also known for narrating a bunch of audiobooks, so you can actually... Um, if you have any audiobooks produced from, like, the 70s and 80s, it's very likely it might be narrated by Ed Kemper. Mm. Which is fun, I guess. That's a voice you want reading you to sleep, clearly. I, I don't know. <laughs> We're in the car. <laughs> it's just like, even if I didn't know what he did, like, just, like, knowing how he sounds and the way he speaks, I'm just like, would I... I feel like it would be really boring yeah. after... Okay. Anyway, I'll get, off I'll topic. get to it. Yeah. In the early 1970s, young women were going missing in California, like a ton. Um, on May 7th, 1972, Mary Ann Pesky and Anita Lucessa would go missing after hitchhiking in Berkeley, California. In August 1972... Mary Ann Pesky's head would be found in a wooded area on Loma Prieta Mountain. <sighs> on September 15th, 1972, Skydrite Rubin Koo reported the disappearance of her 15-year-old daughter, Aiko Koo, to Berkeley police. She had left for her ballet class the night before and never returned. Her mother was afraid because she had been hitchhiking, although the police assured her that she probably ran away. That's always the case. And uh, the article I got a lot of this information from was this, like, 1973, like, true crime, or, like, inside detective article. And, like, it starts off being, like, women go missing all the time. (laughs) (laughs) They just pick up and disappear without a trace to anyone, and that is totally normal. That's just what women do. But what if sometimes it's not? And it's like, are you serious? There were three active serial killers at the same time in California. And this reporter is like, but women just go missing. Women just run away, you know? And like, they do. It was, like, it was weird because it was, like, one of the few articles that brought up a lot of stuff, like, I go, mm-hmm. it was, like, one of the few articles where I actually could read something about her, mm-hmm. whereas, like, it does focus on his white, like, a lot of articles focus on his white victims a lot, if they even really talk about his victims. Yeah. A lot of the time it's just body parts. hmm Anyways. That's, yeah, that's my feelings on reporting from the 70s it it's not that women just like picked up their shit and left it was that they were being you know taken there was a lot of women being abducted specifically in the 70s in california yeah where there were three active serial killers at a time at one point in history and like it's not like three known ones yeah because like those are the ones that were caught yeah Basically. Anyways. On January 10th, 1973, Cynthia Ann Shaw went missing after hitchhiking. 
The next day, a highway patrolman found two... Okay, this is gets confusing because they, like, mention more hands than should... Be on a person? Yeah. Okay. So, and it was in the same article, which is what confused me. I was like, you... You know how many hands there are in a human body, yeah, correct? Typically, typically there are just... Like, the maximum amount of hands and arms, like, full arms, yeah. fully formed, complete, with joints and... And everything, all the, all the stuff. So, I mean, you keep track of the amount of hands that are happening <laughs> as you follow along with the story. So the next day, a highway patrolman found two severed human arms and hands off of Highway 1. Later, a torso, a left hand, and a woman's pelvis were also found. The body belonged to Cynthia Ann Shaw, although she was still missing her head and right hand. So there were they found three hands, or I guess two arms plus a hand, if I'm, if I'm yeah. understanding correctly. But people don't have... And she was still missing a hand, so... But it was... It said two severed human arms and hands. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think they were either like hands that were attached or separated from the arms, but there were two hands for the two arms. Yep. But then they found another torso and then a left hand, but then they were still missing a right hand. Yep. For, but there was like, they didn't say that any of these other body parts were identified to any of the other victims. Mm. So I'm just confused as to... There's already one too many hands. Yeah. <laughs> I just... I don't know. I'm confused. Reasonably so. So if somebody could let me know about about these hands, <laughs> just, you know. It'd be helpful. It'd be nice. Or maybe don't bring this up to me ever again. Like, I think I'm going to be done talking about this. Yeah, we'll see how I feel at the end of this. <laughs> Like, I'm already like, uh, and I'm just starting, folks. Um, at this point, the University of Santa Cruz warned students against hitchhiking. I wonder why. <laughs> um, at this time, two other serial killers, as I had mentioned, had been arrested in the area, but these murders couldn't be connected to them because they had one guy, like Mullins, he was, like, in jail when these murders were happening. Yeah. And I think the other guy had been arrested in, like, 1971. But, like, so, yeah, like, they literally had just arrested two serial killers, mm. and then there were more murders happening. Then, on February 5th, 1973, 22-year-old Rosalind Thorpe and 21-year-old Alice Liu went missing. Their bodies would be found 10 days later in a ravine in the Eden Canyon area. They were both missing their heads. Alice was found completely naked, and Rosalind was found in her underwear. It took a week for them to be identified. Um, and they had to be identified through, like, their fingerprints and, yeah, like, was... chest x-rays because they had no heads. Because normally you'd use, like, the uh, dental records yeah. to identify. Well, usually you could go by, like, visual if it well, hadn't yeah, been but, like... that long. But with no head, you had to go based on everything else. And yeah. so, like, for most of these victims, they had to be identified through fingerprints and yeah then in the early hours of april 24th 1973 the santa cruz police department received a phone call it said 
or I guess he said, mm. I killed my mother and her friend, and I killed those college girls. I killed six of them, and I can show you where I hid the pieces of their bodies. So weird. The pieces, like, that. that's kind of what, like, what has stuck with me while researching this whole case yeah. is just, like, I'll show you where I hid the pieces of their bodies. Like, ugh. Like him specifying. Like, they're how... all chopped up. Yeah. And, like, it's not like, oh, like, I'll show you where the bodies are. Because he knows that you're not even going to find a, a whole body. body in one he location. He might just find one limb or whatever. So he's... That's a fire truck. That is a fire truck. So while trying to set up a trace, they ended up disconnecting from the caller and they had to wait two hours for him to call back, mm. which he did do. Um, they traced it to a phone booth in Colorado. Um, and remember, this is the Santa Cruz Police Department in California. Um when he was arrested, the police searched his car and found enough ammunition in it to hold off an army for about a week, which is <laughs> the description of the arresting officer, so... Yeah, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, it was something like he had, like, a hundred rounds of ammunition or something. It was, like, a, it was still quite a bit, like... For a single person to be carrying for... Yeah, like, it's not like, oh, this is for my protection. It's like... Mm, I intend to do bad things. Mm -hmm. So when Ed Kemper was arrested, he began to confess everything about his murders and where he hid the remaining body parts. So, his confession. According to Ed Kemper, his killing started in 1964 when Ed was 15 years old. He was living with his grandparents and had overheard that he might be sent to live with his father, which he apparently also didn't want. Like, he didn't want to live with his grandparents. He no. didn't want to live with his dad. He he just didn't want anything. Bas basically, yeah. Um, so basically, there was no answer. There was, there was no situation here that Ed Camper would have been happy with. Yeah. So he shot his, mother, his grandmother in the back of the head and then stabbed her with a kitchen knife. Uh, to make sure she was dead. And, like, he stabbed her, like, a bunch of times. I think it was, like... Enough times. It was enough times. Um, later, he would say that he just wanted to know what it would feel like to kill her. When his grandfather came home, Ed Kemper shot him in the back of the head while he was grabbing something from the car. Kemper said that it was because he hadn't wanted him to see what he had done, although in another interview, he also said that he... Like, just didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah, I've heard both of those. And it's like... Ugh, it just, like neither it, of those are good reasons. Um, good reasons. <laughs> and in one of the interviews um, that I had watched, he also said that, like, if he had lived in the... If this had happened in the city, he would have been a mass murderer then because he would have killed anybody, who like, who came by because he was so paranoid that they were like that somebody was coming to like get him that they all knew about it mm -hmm. but um Kemper did call his mother and the sheriff to turn himself in um and he was eventually sent to a Tescadero State Hospital um where he stayed for five years uh kind of like in treatment um, he was released into his mother's custody at the age of 21. 
So he's only 21 by the time that he gets out of whatever. Yeah. For killing both of his grandparents at the age of 15. This is a really big deal. It's, yeah. At 15, no, 16 years old. He was 15, yeah, when he did it. It was not good. Um, at this point, his mother worked at the University of California, so Ed had access to a university parking pass on his car. Um, so he had, so like, one of those, like, bumper sticker things that was like, I can park in the university parking spaces. So in 1971, he started to pick up hitchhikers, um, because he had all of these fantasies of raping and murdering them. Oh, wow, I did not do a content warning. Yeah, I was waiting for, like, a good moment to, like, tell you, but then, like, when a good moment happened, I forgot. Cool. I'm just gonna... Content warning, I guess, for the rest of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna be talking about, um, the rapes and murders now, which will include the bodily mutilations. Yeah. Um, it'll also include some necrophilia and... I think, yeah, just some general misogyny, but I think you all knew that was coming. (laughs) Right, so he did, uh, so he had the university parking pass, and he began picking up hitchhikers in 1971. Um, He would generally just pick them up and drop them off, but um, each time he would do it, he was, like, tempted more and more. Um, building up the courage, right? Yeah. That is until Marianne Pesky and Anita Luchessa. Um, and he took them to a secluded area where he stabbed them to death. Um, he then put his their bodies in his trunk and drove them back um, to the home he shared with his mother. Like, he was living with his mother at yeah. that point. When she was out of the house, he took their bodies to his room where he dismembered them Uh, before getting rid of the bodies. He kept their heads for a while longer before throwing them into a ravine um, a few days later. When he took Aiko Ku, he smothered her and and then dismembered her with an ornamental saber, which... What? I think it's one of those, like, fancy, like... You know, the, like, swords that they would have on, like, pirate ships. He suffocated her with a... He he suffocated her, but then he dismembered her. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was like, what? (laughs) Yes, he suffocated her with the sword. No, he suffocated her because he had, like, these big, massive hands. Yeah, Ed Kemper was, like, a... He was six foot nine and 280 pounds. He was a big, he was a big boy. Yes, he, yeah, they, they called him Big Ed. Um... He then raped her lifeless body before stuffing her in his trunk. Her headless, lifeless body. Mm-hmm. I, ugh, I can't even, like, the thought process to even, it just, ugh. So, he actually had her in, a, in his trunk for a while. He, like, went out for a beer, um... And, like, she, her body was still in there, and he had her head, I think, in his car when he saw 
two different psychiatrists um, oh, as yes, a checkup um, from, like, the his previous murders where he murdered his grandparents. I mean, like, the And they were thing. like, oh, like, let's see if you are someone we should be concerned about. And they were like, nope, not a threat. But the whole thing is messed up, but, like, it's even more messed up. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> like you said, he was going to see his psychiatrist, psychiatrist mm-hmm. and there was a head in his car, or and a body, but like a a person who yeah, he had like murdered. He literally in his dismembered car. somebody like the night before, and was like talking with a psychiatrist and being like, "Yeah, everything's chill, everything's cool. Yeah, I'm great." And like, and that's the thing is like, I don't really think any of this stems from mental illness. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not something like, oh, like, I diagnose you with this. It's just like, I hate women so much that I just want to cut their heads off. Like, he had no empathy. It was, well, because he, he had no empathy for women specifically. Yeah. Like, even, like, with his grandfather, it wasn't, oh, I just wanted to see what it would be like to kill him. Like it was with, with his, his grandmother. Yeah. With his grandfather was like, oh no, I'm going to be, like, he's he's going to turn me in. He'll... He'll be so upset when he sees what happens. You know, like, oh, like, I can't let him see what I did. Versus, oh, this person me. pissed me off, and so now I'm going to shoot them. And I think, like, as you go on, you'll understand more about how Kemper felt about women. Oh, yeah. Um, the day he took Cynthia Shawl, he had bought a twenty two pistol. Uh, he used it to shoot her in the trunk of his car. So at that point, he had stuffed her in his trunk and then shot her, which is just horrible. Um, he kept her body in his bedroom and then later dissected her in the bathtub. Um, and I read somewhere that he, like, played with her organs which I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know. And how much of it is just Kemper playing it up more after prison or like now that he's in prison? He he might have I mean probably would have figured out that like saying that he dissected her and played with her insides was like the more interesting to say instead of just being like oh like like I cut off her head and then Yeah, like dissected has almost like a it's scientific. Yeah. It's, it, it makes it seem more diabolical, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, he buried her head in his backyard facing his window so that he could talk to her like a girlfriend or wife as he's going through his day. Okay. Yep. So he's he knows that her head is buried out in his yard so he can look out his window and be like, let me tell you about the day I had today, Cynthia Shaw. Yeah. Although I doubt he knew her name, even. Probably gave her some fucking name. Even if he knew her name, it doesn't matter. He still killed her. He still yeah took her life. Yeah, it's... Anyways. Yeah. With Rosalind and Thorpe and Alice Lou, he shot them while they were... St- in his car still on campus he took their bodies back to his house where he cut off their heads while they were in the trunk of his car in front of his house Mm -hmm. and like he 
um, like, the, the house that they lived in was, like, shared, so there was, like, another family living in the upstairs, and so, like, their windows were, like, facing his car and everything, and so if, like, anybody had looked out their windows, they would have seen him, according to Ed Kemper, yeah. they would have seen him hacking away at these bodies. Um, and according to him, he went out stalking for them because he had gotten into a fight with his mother. I mean, as far as, I won't let you talk about it, but, like, I kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. I do not doubt it at all. It's just, like, so petty. Like, oh, my mom pissed me off today. Like, so at this point, do... he's, I think, 23. Mm-hmm. Like, he's this 23-year-old kid. Like, let's not act like he's an adult at this point. Yeah. He's he's still basically, like, a kid. He gets into a fight with his mom, so he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna shoot the first person I see. Yeah, the retaliating because he got in an argument with his mom. Someone who's not even... It's a temper tantrum. Yeah. It's a temper tantrum. So in April of 1973, Kemper thought the police were onto him because uh, they had come to his mother's house to take away his 44 Magnum revolver. Um, and I like saw another piece of this in the like actual interviews, and like he was like, I was like talking to the cops like outside and. I had to try and figure out which gun they were looking for. And, mm-hmm. like, um, he had apparently had the gun in his car, so they couldn't find it anyways. <sighs> anyway. But on April 21st, uh, he went into his mother's room and beat her in the head with a claw hammer. Um, in one article, it said that she was asleep, but in his interviews ed kemper said that she was like awake and reading a paperback like because mm-hmm. she had just got home from a night out mm-hmm. um after he killed her he beheaded her and cut out her larynx and threw it down the garbage disposal so that also we were talking about his relationship with his mom <laughs> yeah and like in his interviews he's all like um, because, like, her larynx fucking, like, clogged the garbage disposal because it's not meant to cut up human body parts. Yeah. He was like, it was just like her for, because he was, he describes her as, like, this, like, sh- like, shrieking, yeah. angry, like, harpy, basically. There's a lot of sirens near my building today. It's something's going on, some sort of emergency, considering how many things um, are going that I, way. I think we're really close to either a police station or a fire station. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's a fire station just north of here, which is why you keep hearing the fire trucks. Um, but yeah, I don't know about. The- cop cars though i guess they're just well they usually with the fire yeah that's usually what happens anytime ambulance or fire truck there's police that follows anyway 
what's up? <laughs> was it Jiva? No. Oh, something just fell down? Yes. Spooky. It's a ghost. <laughs> there are ghosts here, I am pretty sure. This building's from the 1920s. It's, it's impossible that nobody has died in here. <laughs> At least one person must, must have like, died. We're getting to the 100 year mark. I am sure somebody has died in this years building. Is a long time. And if not, like, Something in the building, else. like, there's people who have probably died, who lived in the building, and they died somewhere else. Who knows? Yeah. We don't. Even though I've tried to look it up, uh, there have not been any crimes reported, or, like, violent crimes reported in yeah. the building. In the sense of, like... A big newsworthy thing. Because there's a map you can check. Okay. <laughs> In case you're curious, you can look up your... Neighborhood? Your neighborhood and see where, like, different... And you can, like, check the actual, like, address. And it will, like, pull up stuff that have, like, happened. But that's... Okay, that's not... <laughs> the next day... He then invited his mother's close friend, Sarah Hallett, over for dinner. Uh, Well, that was his lure, I guess. Um, But when she arrived, he also strangled her and put her body in the closet. Um, And, like, nobody's really sure why he killed the, like, mother's friend, too. My theory... And this is wild speculation. Yeah. Just wild speculation. Just want to be clear here that nothing I say has any weight whatsoever in the fact that it is speculation. Yeah. Um, my theory is that I think maybe they might have been a little bit gay. The mom, because this is supposed to be like her best friend or whatever. Mm. Um, and I feel like, because... Kemper describes his mom as, like, a man-hater and all of this other stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, like, she hated men and all of this stuff. So part of me feels like maybe she had a relationship, like, with this best friend. Like, it might have been more than just friends. Um, but, like, it's the 70s, so nobody's going to be like, this mom ended up being a lesbian. Yeah. Or, you know, like, maybe she was bisexual or whatever. Um... And so he kind of associated this other woman with the, like, man-hating and whatever. I don't know. Part of me feels like killing his mother wasn't satisfying enough. Like, he killed her and he was dead, but that wasn't, like, enough and he still needed to, like, get back at her. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he's like, what else can I take from you? Take your life. Oh, take and your the- best friend. Oh, yeah. And because she's such a man-hater, you know, like, taking, like his, like, brother or something yeah. wouldn't do anything no. but taking her best friend who's a woman. is different. Yeah. Maybe. That's, that's... That's what I got from because he, he, he just seems like such a petty guy. And, like, because he hated his mom so much, it just seems like... Well, he just hated women. Well, so, he hated well, women in general, but, like, the way he felt about his mom, mm-hmm. like, particularly... He then took off in a rental car, expecting a manhunt, 
Uh, and that's when he eventually calls in his confession. Um, so his interviews that he does later. Um, so as I mentioned, in the 80s and 90s, he did quite a few interviews, and I watched some of them. Um, so my... The, these are these are my opinions of the interviews, mm. and that is um, one thing that I noticed kind of right away was that in comparison to what was reported about his confessions originally, like back in the 70s, and what he says later in his interviews, there's a lot more gruesome detail and, like, a lot more of, like, the gross necrophilia type stuff that he does... Um, like, he talks about, like, when he kills his mother, he says that he used her head as a dart board or something. Yeah. And, um, like, all of this stuff that, like, he doesn't mention at all in his original confessions. And, like, to me, it felt like he just loved telling the story so much. And it was, like, at this point where he knew, like, he wouldn't be able to like, act on those fantasies anymore because he's, like, in prison and he doesn't have women anymore around yeah. to, like, torment and and kill and whatever and release his, like, fantasies or whatever. So he just, like, retells it, but he, he adds in things he, he wishes he, he did, maybe. And, you know, kind of, like, he can't act out, so he'll just relive and relive and relive the the actions that he has done. Um, he also really likes to talk about his childhood. Like, he acts... He likes to act like, oh, it's... These media people like to let... And, but then he'll go on and on about, like, how he liked to play gas chamber with his sister, mm-hmm. um, where he would, like, act out being executed because there was a, a famous execution that happened during his childhood and you'll talk about um like how he killed the like family cat and like he spends a lot of time like talking about these things because he's a narcissist um he also blamed um the murders on the fact that his mother and grandmother were matriarchal and emasculating like um one of the i'm so mad that this interviewer even asked this question but he was like what did your mother and grandmother do that made them get the same end or whatever basically asking like why did you kill both your mother and your grandmother but framing it as what did they do like it was their fault yeah um and so he's like oh they were like emasculating and blah 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 do you know how many men out there are abusive are violent, are, you know, demeaning and degrading to their female partners, their wives, yep. their their children. Yep. And how many of them go on to murder people? Like, that's not an excuse. It's not. It's not. You can't just be like, oh, well, she was so mean to me. It just goes to show how, how easily his pride was hurt. And bruised. Yeah. By women, specifically. And it's like... So he grew up with, like, two sisters. And so, um, like, I guess he was, like, treated different from them. And so, like... 
it's it's like really confusing as well because he clearly has a very complex like has complex feelings about his mother because like even as he'll be like and she did this and this and this and he'll be like well she was a single mom and she was just trying to do the best and i was like so you understand why she was a certain way at some times but also like you're mad at her because she didn't do better like so she had she'd been through um three divorces um, cause she'd been married three yeah. times <clears throat> and in one of the interviews too, he's like, she went through husband's like a hot knife through butter. And <laughs> you're like, okay, what? Um, but also in the seventies and like sixties and like when this would be happening is also when men were kind of the worst. Like it was like, yeah, beat your wives. That's how you keep them in line. <laughs> yeah. It's. Not... Frustrating. So, like, I don't know. To me, it just sounded like his mother was a bit of a feminist, Mm. and he didn't like it. I mean, it's quite possible that's what it was. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not a possibility that she was somewhat abusive. Yeah. And whatever. Because, you know, I don't doubt that she fucked up many points, and that maybe she did, like hit him and stuff like that when he acted out but at the same time like she was a single mom for a lot of it and like I don't know it just seems like I just can't like the no matter how like shitty or not necessarily shitty but like how complicated your parents may be I don't feel like it's an excuse for you to just show up one day, one morning, or afternoon, or whatever, and, like, bludgeon their face in and de- and do all those sort of stuff to them. Yeah, and it's, like, the, the psychiatrist at the Atescadero State Hospital was, like, you shouldn't, like, move in with your mom. And then he moved in with his mom. Yeah. And it's, like, I don't know. There's just, like, a lot of things that you can do differently. Like, he was at a point where he got his record sealed. Like, that's why he went to the psychiatrist, so he could seal his records. If he didn't go off murdering people, he could have had his records sealed from his grandparents, gotten a job, moved out onto his own. Lived a quote-unquote normal life. You know, he didn't have to stay with his mother and be like, oh, she treats me so bad, so I have to go and murder people to make mm-hmm. myself feel better. Like, he had an opportunity to, like, take himself out of a situation that was clearly, I guess, very, very, very triggering for him, and he didn't take that option. No. And, like, he was seeing psychiatrists, and if he wanted, like... If he wanted, like, he acts like him confessing is because he didn't, he didn't want to kill anymore. If he didn't want to kill, instead of killing, he could have gone to those psychiatrists and been like, no, I need more help. Yeah. I, you know, we need to figure something else out. But he knew exactly what he had to say in order not to do that. He was a very charming guy. And, like... 
he made that decision. Like he, my, in my, another one of my theories is that he only confessed because he thought he was going to be caught. And he'd rather just. Like it was that month that he, the, the police started looking into him for guns. And so like if they'd searched his home, they would have found all, like that's like, in his interviews, he says, like, oh, like, I had a purse, and I had their IDs, and I had this and that all, like, hidden away in my closet. So, if they searched. So, I think at this point, he knew, like, oh, like, he's he's gonna be found out. So, in order to stay in the position of, oh, I outsmarted the cops, yeah. he had to confess and be like, no, 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 I came to you. It's, it's you the didn't ego get thing again. me. I was the one who solved it for you. Yeah, if you if I hadn't come forward, you guys would have never figured it out. I did you a favor. And the most interesting thing about Ed Kemper, in my opinion, is how much he wanted to be a cop. Yes, I remember that. He was desperate to be a cop. Mm-hmm. He 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 claimed the only reason he wasn't a cop was because of his size, which doesn't seem true to me he was only i'm six foot nine 280 pounds i'm so big so i couldn't be a cop and i'm like wouldn't that make you like a perfect candidate for like i'm sure cop? there are big cops out there there are plenty like of- i'm i don't maybe the 70s was different but i'm pretty sure in the 70s they would have been like yeah buddy we yeah. need someone large and terrifying like you like someone who's able to like apprehend a person with like one arm like i i don't i don't believe that excuse um but he so because he couldn't be a cop he just decided to hang out with them all the time which is like weird like he there was a bar that he went to all the time called the jury room which is where all the cops went to drink and stuff that's why it's called the jury room yeah and he would go hang out at this bar specifically. Like, he had... This was the bar he went to when he had somebody's body in his trunk. And he, like, before he went in, he, like, opened the trunk and was, like, looking at the body. Like, mm, look at my catch. Like, blah. Yeah. And then he went in and drank with his cop buddies. <sighs> and then, even when he was arrested... He became, like, good friends with the the guards in the prison. He was very charming. He... Or not charming, but I guess he was a people person. Not a people person, mainly men. He... Guy person. He says that he used positive and negative reinforcement. And he would be like, he would... When they did things he didn't like, he would sing in this, like, really annoying voice. Mm -hmm. Just, like, super loudly all the time but then like when they did something he liked he would like give them like a candy i guess because he would buy it from the cantina or whatever and then like give them a candy when he they did something he liked and so they associated things that made ed kemper happy with getting something good out of it yeah and that's how he says he 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 claims that's how he basically got control of these wardens basically and then he he like became like 
Like, the prison just became, like, his his whole life. He has, like, a job there. He does stuff where he, like, I don't know. He has an office that he works in. Uh, I'll, like, show you some photos later. Or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. I'm, like, so done with Ed Kemper. I'm just, like, I don't want to talk about him anymore. But um, he was actually recently up for parole. He was up for parole in 2017, but he was denied again like he was in the 80s and 90s. Because, um, yeah, he went up for parole a few times, but um, they also said that he doesn't even want to be paroled. Like, he likes being in prison. And, like, of course he does. He just gets to do whatever he wants. He's in with his... Like, he still gets to act like he's like cop buddies with people and then like he's head then there's like no inferiority i guess to deal with like his like sexual inferiority with women because there's no women there to make him feel bad because oh yeah that came up in the interviews where he was like i did it because of my i was like sexually inexperienced and i didn't know how to be around women blah 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 that's always like I like why why do men this is like a very much like a mainly um, a a dude thing mm-hmm. why is it that like when they've reached a certain point like 16 17 18, 20 where they're like I haven't had sex yet that must mean like women see me as nothing which means I'm nothing it means I'm like it's just like it's frustrating I mean like I feel like a bunch of our friends didn't start having sex until their 20s. I feel like we all managed to go through life without murdering anyone doing so. I don't... And, I don't know. Guys, sex is not that big of a deal. It really isn't. Like, okay, sure, it feels good sometimes. It's not even always. There's no guarantee. Like, a lot of people act like, oh, sex is like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's good. No. (laughs) When it's bad. When it's it's bad, bad. it's bad. And you're like, have you not had bad pizza? Where you have and you're like, hmm, I regret this immediately. I've had bad pizza. It it happens. Yep. You can have bad sex. Just because you are in the act of sex does not mean that what is happening is good. Exactly. Like, you're, and you're not missing out on that much. Just masturbate. It's not that different. And there's literally so many more, like, other interesting things that you could be doing than the, like, presumably five minutes you'll be having sex for. I mean, hopefully longer than five minutes yeah, for your Yeah, but I mean, like, sake, if we're talking about but... statistically speaking, most people don't. If you're just talking about the, the, the sex part, it doesn't really... The the penetration. Penetration. There's more to sex th- to pe- than penetration, too. Yeah. Like, let's just... That's... It's not even the best part, to be <laughs> honest. But, you know, anyways, my mom listens to this. <laughs> so should I? Should I? <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the end of my... That's oh, my okay. thing, yeah. Why are we so intrigued with the paranormal, despite not having any evidence that unearthly things exist at all? The answer for me is quite simple. It's because everyone loves a good story. Creepy, scary ones. Ones that make you nervous to turn off the lights. 
Join me, Nicole, at Unearthly Paranormal Stories as I share true, mysterious, and sometimes downright terrifying tales from real people in a fun, unique, and spooky way. Find Unearthly Paranormal Stories on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information or to tell me a story, check out our website at www.unearthlypodcast.com. All right, so on to me. I'm going to talk talking about Dennis Rader, a.k.a. the BTK killer or the BTK strangler. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> so Dennis Rader is presently a 73-year-old man. He was born March 9th, 1945 um, in Pittsburgh, Kansas to Dorothea, which is a very interesting name, Dorothea May and William Elvin Raider. I actually don't know if I've actually heard of a Dorothea that wasn't black. Uh, yeah. You're right. Like mostly when I hear Dorothea, I think like Dorothy Dorothy's like for white women. 40s, yeah. 50s. Yeah. It's like you know like she's the older black woman. It's just like a she's nice like southern your grandma name. or your like neighbor. Or whatever. Not my grandma, but... Not your grandma, but, like, you know, like, somebody's grandma. Or, like, their next-door neighbor or whatever. The old lady down the street or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, like many serial killers, uh, before him and after him, uh, he had an affinity for torturing animals and hanging stray animals. Uh, outside of that, he had a seemingly normal childhood. Can I interrupt? (laughs) Yes. So, in the Ed Kemper... Interviews. Yeah. There's one where he's like, "I want to hear what these psychiatrists think about these kids who like kill cats and stuff." Yeah, because this is like pre when they're like cat killing and stuff. Yeah, is a before. precursor to serial killing, and he's all like, "What about those kids? There's just something violent about children." And it's like, "No, you're literally just describing <laughs> serial killer children. Like you're yeah. literally <laughs> you're just describing people who usually grow up to like be serial killers. You're literally talking about." <laughs> Shows how smart you are, Ed Kemper. Stupid Ed Kemper. (laughs) I mean, yeah. We won't get into it. Um, So, uh, as he grew up, he dropped out of college and joined the U.S. Air Force in the mid-1960s. Once his service was completed, he married Paula Dietz, I think is how you say it. Or it might be Dietz, but I think Dietz is the proper pronunciation. On May 22nd, 1971. Uh, after they were married, they had two kids, and he went back to school um, in 1973, completing an associate degree in electronics, and then in 1979, completed his bachelor's in administration of justice. Um, now, that all comes off as seemingly normal, uh, minus his cruelty to animals in his childhood, but between 1973 and 1979 is when Dennis committed his first murders. And this is right after Ed Kemper. This, this is what we were talking about. This is literally... Okay. <laughs> yes. Because this is also California, right? Uh, no. This is... I thought... Pittsburgh, Kansas. That's not in California. Huh. But, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's still happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, 
Now, I'm sure I wasn't the only person who had heard of BTK but didn't actually know what it stood for. Um, it stands for Bind, Torture, Kill, and upon hearing that, one can't help but feel even more uneasy saying his name, so I probably won't be saying BTK unless I need to for the rest of this. I'm just going to refer to him by his actual name because it's just like, it's so... That's reasonable. Grimy and like... Yeah. And I believe he named him... Yes, I will yeah, I'll okay. address his letters um, later on. So his the first um, murder he committed was on January 15th, 1974. Um, a family of four became the first of Raiders' victims. He invaded their home in Wichita, Wichita, um, strangling uh, Joseph Otero, Julie, and two of their children. Um, Joseph Jr., who was nine... And um, Josephine, who was 11, uh, Charlie Otero was their eldest son. He was in 10th grade. He was the one who discovered his family. Mm-hmm. He'd come home from school and, and had found them. Um, Dennis Rader uh, took a watch and a radio from the Otero home and left behind traces of his semen. Blech. So this was his first, um, yeah. Yeah, because this was when he was like, masturbating over the yeah. scenes, right? Yes. Um, four months later, in April, he struck again. Uh, Catherine Bright's apartment was invaded by Raider. He waited for her to come home, and he stabbed her, then strangled her. He then shot her brother twice, um, but Kevin Bright survived. Um, he told Time Magazine years later that Dennis uh, Raider um, was an average-sized guy, bushy mustache, and he had to quote, I can't, you guys can't see my quotation, air quotations, psychotic eyes. Um, and as far as I know, Kevin Bright was the only male victim after, after he survived, like after the, um, the child and father of the, of the Otero family. Um, Dennis got such gratification um, from these crimes that he was committing and felt so much pride from the crimes that in 1974... He placed a letter in a book at a public library confessing to the crime of the Otero family. In the letter he wrote, It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic sexual perver- with a sexual perversion hang-up. Um, the code words for me will bind them, torture them, kill them, BTK. Ugh. Yeah. So he was definitely on a high. He wanted everyone to know what was going on, what to call him. He wanted control of it all, essentially. Yeah, and, like, normally nicknames for killers come from, like, the reporters. Yeah, the and media. And, like, I, I think it's, like, a really good point on your part to not refer to him as BTK. It just Because, feels... like, it's giving him what he wants. Yeah. And also, like, like it's... It's feeding into that power, like, it's it's giving him the, like, it's saying, like, yeah, you control this narrative, you get to decide what, yeah, what we feel about this case. And I'll, like, get into it later about how controlling, um, Dennis Rader was. Um, now, I definitely think it's worth mentioning that Dennis Rader worked as an ADT security services installer between 1974 and 1988. He installed security alarms in people's homes as part of his job, so he definitely took advantage of his knowledge of homes and home security to carry out his murders, which is, like, extra terrifying. Because, like, 
when you have some sort of service done where someone has to come to your home, your space, like, you're putting trust in the stranger that they're going to do their job and only their job, and, like, that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's people like Dennis Rader, and I'm, and I'm sure he's not the only one who found some skeevy way to miss, um, this is the word I'm looking for, to take advantage of people's trust in yeah. simple services. Ugh. Yeah. This is why I don't like anything where I have to, like... It's why I hate when anything breaks in my apartment, because then I have to, like, put in a work order, and some person will come into my home yeah. and fix it at some point. And it's like, I always know when they're coming, because they have to give the notice. Yeah. But it's still, like... It's uncomfortable. I don't want you in my home. And it's always, like, in the morning and, like, usually back before I started working days, when I was working nights, that meant, like, they were coming over while I was sleeping. Yeah. And I'd have to, like, leave my door unlocked or, like, the the hotel lock thing on the door, which I hate doing. And it's just, ugh. It's, it's, it's not a comfortable thing. Um, Sorry. In 1978, he sent a letter to the TV station um, Cake, that's K-A-K-E, um, where he claimed responsibility for the Arteros, Catherine Bright, and two more victims I'm going to talk about later on. Um, he was demanding detention from detention, attention from the media in this second letter. So the first letter is just like, this is what I want people to call me. Mm-hmm. And or in his first letter. In his second letter, he's like, pay attention to me. Like, I want to start like communicating with you guys. And I'm going to tell you everything because... That's just how he fed his ego, I guess. Yeah, like, it's like with Ed Kemper and doing the interviews. It's like, if I get, if I talk about it, like, if I can just talk about it, like, just pay attention, like, it, it doesn't matter that what I'm doing is cruel as long as you see me as this, like, super genius. Yeah. Like. As long as you're paying attention to me, that's all that matters. Um, so in 1977, prior to the second letter, um, he killed his sixth victim, uh, Shirley Vian. Uh, she was tied up and strangled by Dennis Rader after he locked her children in the bathroom. Yeah, I remember, um, watching a few specials on these. I think there was, like, an episode of, I want to say Forensic Files, but it might not be Forensic Files, where, like, um, they talked to, like, Danny Otero and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is, like, years and years afterwards. Yeah. But it's, like, ugh. Like, that's... Uh, I can't. And, like, with these ones, it's, like, the children... Like, at least he let the children live. Live in this one, but, like, it's still... But it's still, like, okay, they live, but they live through their mother being murdered. Yeah. Like, ugh. that guy took their mother away from them and it's like like you're still gonna be scarred and traumatized by it ever like you were just in the other room you couldn't do anything about it i'm Mm -hmm. sure they heard her struggling and screaming yeah um (sighs) (laughs) i'm sorry no 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 i like it thought it's like things i was already thinking about when i was when i was doing the research for it it was just like it was sad it not was sad it is sad it's still Bringing this all up creates very present, current feelings. 
Um, so the next life he took belonged to Nancy Fox. He strangled her in her home and then called the police to say there had been a homicide because there was no one there to call and he wanted, like I, like we talked about before, attention. So mm-hmm. he was the one who called If him. he had to wait for someone to find her, he yeah. could be waiting days. Exactly. Um, in the letter he wrote to the TV station, he wrote a poem, um, that enclosed the title, Oh Death to Nancy, in reference to an American song, Oh Death. Uh, so he was trying to be kind of cheeky with this letter, you know. He thinks he's clever. He, he thinks he's clever. Um, so in I hate a- him. Just in case you were wondering what my feelings were. Hey. <laughs> in April of 1979, Raider waited for his next victim to come home. It was a 63-year-old um, woman named Anna Williams. He waited for hours for her, like over, like, I think five or six hours for her to come home. But she never did, and she was absolutely livid about that. And he convinced that in a later a letter later on. He was so mad that, like, someone had invaded him btk he's like how how dare someone how dare someone not follow my schedule for their murder exactly so wait was this someone he didn't end up murdering she she survived oh my god can you imagine finding that out later that someone had been waiting in your home for you to come home and like 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 Maybe she had too much to drink and she stayed at a friend's house that night. Or, or she, well, she went was home with, friends. with somebody yeah. or whatever. Like, imagine if you just hadn't... Stayed ugh. out Okay, all so night. Yeah. clearly I need to change my life and just be out constantly just, and never come home. <laughs> the only way to avoid, like, a home invasion and murder is just to never be home. Because eventually the killer will get tired and leave, apparently. Not all of them. No. Because I, I was listening to a, another podcast <laughs> where Theory, they were waiting for, for many, many an hour. But, like, yeah, like... <sighs> yeah, it's just, like... It's just, like, if she had come home. Like, I didn't know that, but I didn't hear about that. Yeah, the, he he was... Because he wrote about it. He shared, he shared everything. He was in constant communication with the media about, like, what was going on, because, as we said before, he loved the attention, and he was just so mad about this. I think this is the only time where he expressed how mad he was, because everything else kind of went his way mm-hmm. prior to and basically after that. Um, Raider did not commit any known murders until 1985, so there was about, like, four or five years where he didn't really do anything that he confessed to. I mean, there might have been, but... Yeah, and I was watching something. No, I was listening to mm-hmm. an interview with a... It was... It's an older episode of Wine and Crime where they actually had a true crime writer on talking about some of the books that he wrote. Where he, So he has interviewed serial killers yeah. for his books and stuff like that. And so one of the things he was talking about is that something serial killers will do is they will they won't tell you there's always one body there's always one something that they don't tell you so that they have that sense of oh i won yeah like i outsmarted you you will never know about this person this one thing um but it it also works as a way to like if 
the attention comes off of them, they can pull it back on them by saying, oh, wait, but I can tell you about this This, other body. Yeah. Um, so, where was I? Okay. So, in April uh, 25th, 1985, he took the life of his neighbor, uh, Marine Hedge. Her body was found on the side of the road um, four days later. This is far from their home. Um, but he just dumped her body somewhere. Didn't tell anybody about it at that time. Um, and then September 16th, 1986, Vicky uh, Wargirl was found on the street. And she was another victim of raiders. So at this point, he's kind of just like aimlessly throwing people into the street. And just waiting for someone to find them. Ugh. I think this is why we are... We try to be very careful about how we talk about these killers. We, like, we don't want to feed into this, their, like, ego. And we don't want to kind of create the same kind of environment that, that create people like this further on where they're just like, I'll do anything for the fame. I'll do anything for the notoriety. Um, then in the, uh, late 80s, Raider left his job at ADT. That was the security, um, home security installation job he had before. Um, he became a Park City, uh, compliance supervisor in 1991. Uh, he was known for being very strict about the work, um, and totally controlling. He was measuring lawn heights and, like, yeah, He'd like like take like a ruler or whatever and measure how long the grass had been cut. Oh my god! And he would like flip his lid if it wasn't like the right height. Um, he would chase away stray stray animals with a tranquilizer tranquilizer gun. Um, Don't trust anybody who has a tranquilizer gun and is not an active member of an animal. Well sanctuary or or I'll mention this. Um, one of his neighbors said that he had, like, put down their dog for no good reason at some point. What? How? What? Why aren't people looking into this man just like, mm, he just, like, killed my dog. Like, he didn't need justly euthanized their he pet. He didn't need to. The dog wasn't in pain. Like, he... Just... He was something else. That's the only... That's the, that's the lightest way I can put it. Ugh. Um, in 1991, Raider killed his final victim. Her name was Dolores E. Davis. Um, she was found February 1st uh, on the street in Sedgwick. Um, Raider had killed her on January 19th. So it had been like a good, what, two, three weeks before she was found. Um, which is like, this is all sad, but that's, you know... Anyway, um, Brader did an extremely good job of not getting caught in his almost 20-year murder spree. That's, like, a long time. It's a very long time. Um, so much so that by 2004, um, the cases were considered cold cases by that point. They had no idea. It'd been so long, they they couldn't figure it out. Um, however, Raider could not stand letting the media forget about him. Mm-hmm. And so, under the name Bill Thomas Kilman... Huh. Clever, right? I wonder right? what he was doing there. Um, he wrote a letter to the Wichita, Wichita um, Eagle. 
He claimed that he murdered Vicki Wurgel in September, um, enclosing photos of the crime scene and her driver's license. This was in March of 2004 that he did this. By May, he sent another letter letter to Cake TV station, um, and he, he titled it, because he wanted to control the narrative, BTK Story. Then he attached the package in June of 2000 and... Uh, June 2004, um, to a stop sign labeled the sexual thrill is my bill, which was about the Otero murders. Um, so the first family that he had, uh, murdered and also included was a suggestion for another book title, the BTK story. Um, the ego. Yes. The write a book about me. Do this, do that. I'm clearly such good material. Yep. Um, in July, so the next month, he another package was dropped into the return slot of a public library. He claimed to have killed um, 18-year-old Jake Eileen. This was false. This was um, a uh, young boy, 18, who um, had taken his life at, at that time. And it was a big case, but he was like, no, I did it. It was me. So he was just trying to take credit for anything at this point. Basically. Because, I mean, he hadn't committed any known crimes since the last one in 1991. So he's like, what can I say was me? What can I surprise people with? Um, in October 2004, a manila envelope was dropped into a UPS box. Its contents contained a poem threatening the lead investigator. Um, a poem threatening? Yes. That's a... Yes. <laughs> a, a threatening poem. <laughs> That's a phrase. <laughs> I thought was gonna come up today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Bill. Not Bill. What's his name? Dennis. Dennis. Um, he... The lead investigator, uh, Ken Landor, and images of um, terror and bondage of uh, children and a oh fake autobiography that he wanted them, that he concocted to make himself seem like a bigger deal than he already was. Ugh. embellishing his life and his crimes. Um, sort of like Ed Kemper being like, look at all the spooky things in my childhood. Read mm-hmm. into them. I bet you'll read into them. Yes, like, exactly. You're the one that wants us to read into yeah, them. Yeah, you're like the one who wants all the attention. Um, he left the package in Wichita Murdoch Park with um, Nancy Fox's uh, driver's license and a doll in bondage with a bag over its head. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, this was um, in reference to how he obviously took her life in previous cases, and it wasn't the last doll he sent. Um, He made two cereal box delivery attempts. Um, The first one was unsuccessful. Raider left a um, cereal box in the bed of a pickup truck. The driver saw it and threw it out. They're like, what is this garbage? And (laughs) threw it out. Um, Raider had been a long time. No one had talked about him in the media for a while, so he sent a letter to the cops asking about it. Have you seen my <laughs> cereal box? Did you, did you get my package? Um, did he think he was funny because it was a cereal box and he was a serial killer? I wouldn't put that past him, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, I usually am a fan of puns. Puns typically can turn my perspective yeah. on a person around. Not this time. No. Dennis. So- <laughs> So they retrieved it from the trash much later. The second time, he sent it to Cake TV station, 
with another bound up doll and this one was specifically to reference the um uh the youngest daughter or the 11 year old daughter of the otero family and it was also bound in bondage oh my god yeah and um he made 11 correspondences with the authorities and other um, news media and whatnot. Um, one of his last letters uh, <laughs> being a letter asking if he could send um, a letter on a floppy disk and if they could trace him. Oh, right. And um, <laughs> this is part of the reason I wanted to do this case because, like, I didn't remember too, too much about, about Dennis Rader's crimes, but I did remember in the incredibly ridiculous way that he got caught. And so I feel like I had to share it. Um, they replied in the newspaper that he was safe and that they wouldn't be able to trace him. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he believed them. That's what happens when you believe cops, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you don't want to be caught. So you ask the people who are trying to get you if something... Like, that boggles hey, my mind. I- send you this digital thing that will have <laughs> like I don't he <sighs> like some could say he was a brilliant man for, for being able to like keep up correspondence with the media and the cops for so long and not getting caught but like this is like until the digital age <laughs> until the digital age it, he just he's just an old man who didn't understand what was going on and he was quite old by this time Oh um, man, I'm just imagining you're just an old man just being like, "Can you?" Because he'd probably have to ask one of his like grandchildren, like, "Well, yeah, how he was, do like... I use a floppy disk?" <laughs> well, I don't like... know if he'd sound like that in his like <laughs> late fifties, but like, <laughs> but sure. <laughs> um, once they received the floppy disk, along with a letter, a gold-colored <laughs> necklace. And a photocopy of the book Rules of Prey, which was about serial killers, um, they found the metadata of the deleted Word document on the floppy disk because nothing you delete actually really gets, like, deleted. There's always going to be some sort of digital trace unless you're a super amazing technical hacker person. Like, it's not gone. Unless you, like, you know for sure you can do that thing. Yeah. It's traceable. Yeah. Like, unless you went in and was like, let me cover up the tracks. Yeah. It's, it's traceable. Yeah. Um, they were able to get a last name and his church off the, me- the metadata. He was part of a church. Um, of course. Yeah. After doing an internet search, they managed to get his full name. Because, I mean, like, they had his church name. They had a last name. It wasn't that hard to put together once they looked, up, looked it up on the internet. Yeah, because like, there's usually some newsletter or something that the churches send out that's like, yeah. let's talk about our congregation today. On this Thursday, we have youth volleyball, and then we have knitting club on Tuesdays, and so-and-so is doing this. And thanks to our donator people. Or whatever, things like that. Um, so after that, they didn't have enough evidence to actually link Dennis Rader to the, the crimes, though. Um, but they had a pretty good hunch. So, um, with permission, um, using DNA from his daughter's uh, pap smear, she had taken it to Kansas State University. Yes, from a pap smear. That's um, really upsetting. Well, I mean... They- I'm uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> with where they got this DNA from. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not ideal. Um, 
but uh, and testing it with DNA they had gotten from Raider's previous victims. Uh, one of his victims had some DNA under their nails, oh, and they had. There was also the semen at some of the scenes, right? Yeah, mainly more so at the earlier ones, but I mean, they didn't really uh, like hold on to those. It was the DNA, the DNA that they had found. I don't remember which of the, I should have wrote it down, but under one of the victims' nails, they had tested it against I think one thousand five hundred different DNA to try to figure out who it was and none of it matched, but they had held on to it in case, you know, one day they I mean, were able to make a match. typically hold on to the DNA of murders. But people fuck up. Dwayne Deaver. Dwayne Deaver. <laughs> you uh, you, it, that's not just a fuck up, though. <laughs> I, have, I have so many... Okay, yes, we won't get anyway, into that. Um, so... There was a match they could tell that the person who had committed these crimes was related to Dennis Rader's daughter, and it was a pretty narrow gene pool, so they had enough evidence to go off to arrest him February 25th, 2005. Um, Rader was charged with 10 murders in the first degree. He eventually pleaded guilty, um, and he made no apologies uh, at all whatsoever. He had no sympathy for what he did to those people, obviously. Um, and he was sentenced. He just missed a death sentence. They had just... They just got rid of the death sentence? Yeah. When he was convicted. So he got a hundred... He got sentenced to life. No parole for 175 years. Good. Yeah. How it should be. It, it really is how it should be. He should not be let out. Anyone who is that... Has that sort of, like... Like, it, bragging about killing children, about just killing in general, yeah. being like, trying to take credit for somebody's death that yeah. was not your fault. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because there, I'm, I'm going to say this guy had, had many opportunities to seek help if this was like a... Uh, I have an impulse thing and I mm. need to control. No. You were like, hmm, what if I murdered people? That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it's just like, considering what transpired between his childhood up until his first murder, it's like, what was going through his head and how he could go through life and no one could tell like he he was just so good at being two different people if that makes sense Mm -hmm. being like your typical like family man everyone was like yeah everything was gucci on that end and then like committing those those crimes for so long had children yeah when he murdered children yeah like he just broke into people's houses and murdered it would it would concern me as to like, how how good could he have possibly treated his children if he didn't see other people's children as 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 living, breathing human beings yeah. who deserve a chance at life and not just something you can just throw away? I I honestly don't understand. I I guess it's just like you know how some people they only really care about the people in the, their immediate vicinity. And so it's just like that. He's just like, oh, whatever. They're not my kids. Like, I don't know these people. And it's just how... 
how it's hard for us to understand because like that would it's like it just <laughs> it goes against like everything like the, our entire way of living basically I yeah it's just incomprehensible to me like I it's I can't fathom moving through life caring so little about the people around you yeah like because he was just treating their lives like a game like it wasn't it was just a game like it was just like a story to him like yeah he just i did these deeds like look how smart and look how clever i am and can you catch me and not like like, this is, like, the worst kind of killing because it's senseless. It doesn't... It wasn't revenge. It wasn't... No. I got angry and I did this thing. It wasn't... It was just... I thought I could get away with it. So I did. It's... It It really is... It really is just mind-boggling that he just... One day decided he was going to go into someone's home and then murder them. And that was it. Like... And then he kept doing it over and over again. He kept going through his life, doing his normal thing. And then, on top of that, he wanted to be, like, a celebrity. Like, obviously people would be be talking about what's going on. But, like, the fact that he wanted to have an autobiography written about him. Even after, it was just the one killing he did before he started sending the letters, right? After his first killing, he hid the first letter that he wrote in the library. So, like, he wanted, like, it was, like, he did it for the fame. Like, it, you can't even be like, oh, like, he had these, he wanted someone to find it. He didn't just want to murder these people. He wanted to be famous for murdering people. And I mean, like, I feel like he would have gotten to that point even without, like. Confessing. Confessing. Yeah, like, after the second once there's, like, a connection between the crimes, people yeah. would be like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like, one, he could, he did not give everybody else enough credit, but two, it's... Ugh. Uh, it's just, like, also, what was I going to say? During the time that he was at his... the height of his crimes, he was talking to people who's, ha- like whose houses he would enter to, you know, install security systems in their homes. And they'd be like, oh, you know, I'm so concerned. I've been hearing about all these home invasions. And, like... They love inserting themselves and being like, yeah, I wonder if they'll ever catch this guy. Wink, wink. Like, there was... With Ed Kemper, I keep doing this. Well, the (laughs) thing is, they both have... Their egos are so massive, it's hard not to compare. Yeah, there was um there was one guy who like owned a gun shop or whatever and Ed Kemper loving his guns was there a lot and apparently there was like a woman who was there who was like I wonder if they'll ever catch this guy and he's like I wonder like yeah. he like like just like sidled up and was like hmm yes I want to join this conversation it's like when you have like a little secret, like someone's like, "Oh, someone's birthday's coming up. I wonder if they're gonna do anything." And secretly, you're surpri- you're planning a surprise party, but instead, their secret is that they're doing one of the most horrible things known to man. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, both these men are terrible, 
And I think it's safe to say that like our 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 closing say saying for our for our podcast. It's very fitting right now. Very fitting for this. Like, don't be murdered. That's your choice. Yeah. Just don't do it. You have an impulse to kill someone? Call a therapist. Like you know it's not right. Call call a friend. Be like, hey friend. I sometimes want to murder people sometimes. And um you might not have that friend anymore, but there's also the possibility that friend might be like, hey, let's let's work on this. Let's work on that, or let's talk to somebody, let's, or... You know, prison is not so... Well, I mean, prison is pretty bad. Yeah. But, like, murdering people is kind of worse. I mean, if it's... Go to prison or murder people. Just, like, just like take the jail time. Yeah. And, like, like if you're all like, oh, like, I, I need to do this. Like, I can't stop myself. Do something to remove yourself from the situation in which, if you're desperate for fame, try writing a book. Maybe become an actor. Or YouTube. I guess YouTube wasn't around back then. But. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, there's, we've got YouTube now. You don't need, you don't need to do that. No, there are other ways. If you want attention that badly and you're not getting it enough from your, I don't know if you had any friends, but like from your family, I guess, then find some other outlet. You know what? You really, evil can evil that shit. That's a way to get fame. Oh, yeah. You need the danger involved? Do it to yourself. Exactly. Take other people out of the equation. They are not yours to decide whether they get to live or die. Yeah. That's not your choice. It isn't. That is is not your choice. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. Are you ready to sign off? Because I think I am. (laughs) I'm ready. All right. Who's who's saying it? I'll, I'll say it again. Remember, folks, don't be a murderer. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. I'm done. I'm done with the (laughs) conversation.